Um, Josh has been our point of contact for most everything that we do at the middle school. Um, and he wanted to come personally and kind of tell you what you all did um, in helping the families that we supported with gifts. So Josh is going to come here, there, wherever you like. I think that's ready to go. Um, thank you, first off, Anthony, for giving me a little bit of your time today. Um, secondly, uh, a strategy that we've been working on at Owen Middle School is called restorative practices. I'm not going to get into it, but one of the main tenets is when it's your turn to speak, speak from the heart and speak your truth. Uh, my truth today to you is that, one, I might talk too fast. Two, I'm going to forget to breathe. And three, you might see me cry. That's my truth, and it's, that's what I'm going to be giving to you today. Um, lastly, I cannot express to you the gratitude of Owen Middle School that we have for the connection with Valley Hope. Um, that connection has been existing before I was there, but in the last four years, I know for sure that it's grown and it's gotten better and bigger. There is no other group that I can call on for food, volunteers, hygiene, anything. And you all show up so much stronger and bigger than I expect, and it always blows my mind. So I want to thank you for that. Um, the very first time that I reached out to Valley Hope to request help for our food pantry, um, within a week it took two carloads uh, to get the food to the middle school, and I was really glad that I was the only person on the hallway unloading and loading up the shelves because I cried hard. Uh, we went from three cans of beans and two packs of oatmeal to overflowing shelves um, in one week. And it was, it was astonishing, and it really just solidified how incredible this congregation is and how wonderful you are. Um, this Christmas, uh, you guys went overboard. A um, little backstory on how Christmas works at the middle school. We identify about 10 to 15 students between myself, our two counselors, and our social worker. Um, our limited budget means that we can only focus on just the middle school student. Uh, we get them shirt, pants, socks, gloves, and either a hat or a scarf, and one gift. Um, that's really all we can do. We want to make sure at least our, our one middle school student has something. Um, the amazing Amy Berry, who can't be here today, um, so let her know I shouted her out. Um, contacted me and said, Valley Hope wants to sponsor whole families, up to five. Whole families. Like, we've got families who have six, seven, and eight kids. Um, so, long story short, after some mad scrambling from our student services team to contact families to get sizes of their four-year-olds and um, what the dad might want for Christmas for a gift and you know, what the other siblings, what their sizes are, even with our last-minute information to get to you. Um, my room, uh, Friday before Christmas break, was filled. Um, there were bikes and presents and clothes and books. And, like, it. I wish I had taken a picture, but that day was a little bit chaotic for all of us. Um, but uh, it took all four of us from the student services team with our cars packed to the brim um, to be able to get all those deliveries out on Friday afternoon. And I can't fully express to you the look on the parents' faces uh, when we were pulling out bags and boxes. And they're like, 
you, you messed up. Like, this is not all for us. I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's all yours. It's, this is from a community who cares about you and wants your success and wants your happiness. Um, not COVID safe, but I had a mother who embraced me um, and I'm not going to push her away at that time. Um, so those are the things that, sorry, um, those are the things that I can champion and say our community cares about each other. Our community cares about its neighbors. And if you have, you give. If you need, you ask. And a the asking part is the really the hardest thing for a lot of our families. Um, there's a lot of Valley Pride. Uh, I know you're all very familiar with that phrase. Um, it's getting better. Um, they're seeing that this is not charity. This is a community. This is not, you know, we're better and we're just going to hand you what we think you need. We ask them what they need, what they want, what helps them be happy and survive. So I just want to say thank you. Um, it's been a really tough year. Um, the collaboration between Owen Middle and Valley Hope has gotten stronger. And I, I asked my principal before uh, the break, I was like, I'm going to speak to Valley Hope. Is there anything in particular? He's like, I think you got it. Just tell them how much we appreciate them. So from the staff and the administration at Owen Middle, uh, you're incredibly important to us. And it's been a really hard year for everyone. Um, but the outpouring of, of love and grace that you all showed us, even when, you know, I think the last email I sent to Amy was on a Tuesday, right before that Friday, and everything was there. No questions asked, and here you go. We're ready. Um, I, I felt like that deserved more than a thank you card. Um, I wanted to see you all in person. Uh, it's the first time I've been able to see a group of people in person like this. So it makes me, it makes my heart happy. Um, but again, I just, I really want to express how deeply we appreciate your willingness to step up in ways that continue to surprise and continue to impress. And you don't ask for it to be like, let's put Valley Hope up on, on all of our social media and say, this is who did this thing. You just do it from your heart. And like I said from the beginning, you speak from your heart. You all do things from your heart, and it's very apparent. Um, and so I just want to thank you in person. It needed more than a gift, uh, than a, a thank you card that could be passed around. Um, this is a personal thing for us at Owen Middle, and I appreciate you letting me have a little bit of your time. Um, but thank you all so very much. It's you did incredible work, and there are five families uh, in our community that had so much more than they could have ever expected for this Christmas, especially given this year. So, thank you. Um, I, I do wanna thank you all for participating and joining with us. Um, you know, this, honestly, the. I think the genesis of this for us was out of a conversation that happened in our missional community um, where Myla Kirkland was like, I, our family really wants to do something for somebody who's in need this season. And I was like, we got to ask Josh. Like, Josh will know. Josh will know who we could help. 
and it turned into this. And that was not what I was expecting. That wasn't what Myla Kirkland was expecting. Um, I know Josh didn't approach us. We approached him, and it turned into this whole thing. Um, and I want to thank you all for participating. People were incredibly, incredibly generous. Amy uh, kept giving me updates on what people were giving, and I was like, this is insane. Like, people need to stop. It's, uh, it's nuts. But, um, you know, our years ago, we said that um, that we love this valley. We love the people of this valley. And Jesus has called us to serve and to love the people of this valley. And right now, if our church ceased to exist, would anybody care? And the answer was no. We would care. But I don't know that anybody in our valley would have cared. They don't even know that we exist. And we said, we have to make our care tangible enough and significant enough, not for our own sake. I'm not trying to earn a reputation here. But I want to mean something to this valley so that if we disappeared, they, felt they would feel like something had been lost. And we just felt like the, the middle school was this natural point of contact that a lot of our kids will go through that middle school, um, are on their way there to that middle school. We eventually went and worshipped in that middle school. And when we left that middle school, we said, we can't leave the middle school. We, can't, we might stop worshipping here, but we're not, we can't leave the middle school. And um, we're so, so grateful for you, Josh, and for the United Way, and for what you're doing through that place we find you to be very natural partners for us. We know that you care about people. You love people. Um, it's not just a program there. If you spent time around some of the stuff that we've done with United Way, you can tell these people care and love these students and their families. My daughter now is a, is a middle schooler there. I know that the teachers there care. It's not just a paycheck. So we're very grateful for the partnership that we get to have with you. Um, we know that we have real common cause there. Um, and we want to pray for Josh, for the United Way, for the middle school. We're going to pray right now. You know, our, our motivation is what we just prayed about, that we, because we have received the generosity of God's forgiveness, we are forgiving people. Same principle, because we have received the overwhelming gifts of God, we have to be giving people. And we are grateful that in what Jesus has called us to do, we don't have to just figure it out by ourselves, but we have people that can teach us, this is exactly how you should be generous. This will help people in the way that you want to help people. So I want to pray for Josh, that he'd be sustained, that he could keep going in this work. It's hard. It's demanding in the best of circumstances. I think we can all acknowledge 2020, not the best of circumstances, to say the very least. So we're going to pray for him and the whole staff of Owen Middle School. And as we pray, I want you to also ask God, how would you have me continue past December 25th? How might I continue to be a generous, serving person in and with Owen Middle School? We'll just see what God does. Who knows where that next conversation is coming from? What missional community is going to have some random idea that turns into 
this. Okay? So let's pray for Josh. God, we, we thank you for, for sending Josh to own middle school. Whether he would say that you sent him or not, I rarely recognize when you're sending me anywhere, but we are grateful that you have sent Josh to this middle school. God, we thank you for his love for these students, for this community, for these families. And God, we pray that you would pour out your love on him, that you would sustain him, that all the places that he is feeling hurt or wounded or tired, that you would pick him up by the arms and help him to keep going, that you would give him endurance to run this race. God, we pray for the same for the staff, the, the teachers of Owen Middle School. God, that you would give them hope to endure. God, that they would be able to continue in their mission to love and serve and educate the students of this valley. And we pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be faithful partners to them. We are one small church. We know that we cannot do everything and that there is so much that needs to be done. We just need to link arms with lots of other people. We pray that you'd help us to be wise and doing it, willing and doing it, generous and doing it. And Jesus, we just pray that your love would invade that place, that students would come to Owen Middle School and they would know that they are loved by God. In, in ways that they would never have looked for or expected or described, we pray that they would encounter the love of Jesus there. And God, we pray that you would help us to be ready to get down on our knees, to wash people's feet, to serve, and to say, this is what Jesus has done for me. How can I not help but, but be like him? We pray, God, that that is the vision that would fill our eyes that we would see you and we would be together persistent and united and trying to be just like you. We need you to do this, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. I'm going to this morning be preaching. Uh, I'm going to continue. I decided to continue in the lectionary for a few more weeks. Um, so we'll have uh, continue to have an Old Testament passage Epistle, New Testament passage, and gospel. Um, I'm going to do that for a few more weeks as we move through some of the, the liturgical calendar moments. <clears throat> before I do this, before I forget, we are going to have a congregational meeting on January 10th. Um, and this is the, our longest congregational meeting, which is obviously difficult in these circumstances. So we'll still be using this room and that room over there. And we have gotten permission... <clears throat> from our presbytery to enable Zoom attendance and voting. So if you cannot be in person, feel like you should not be in person, but you're a member of our church, you can attend via Zoom and vote there. We'll be voting on uh, officers, elder and deacon nominees, and presenting the budget. And we're going to still try to do that as quickly as possible to, to mitigate the amount of time that we're spent in a room together. But that's January 10th. It'll be after the second service because we won't be able to fit it in between like we did before, okay? We'll have more information for you on that coming, but put that on your calendars. All right, now Isaiah 61, verse 10 through 62, 3. And that's going to be on the screen. 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout out before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I'll not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I'll not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God." Now Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And now, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 22 through 40. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. 
Let me pray once more. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is revelation from you about you. We pray that you would help us to see and to hear that revelation. And we might see and hear you more clearly than ever before. We know that we don't rely on ourselves for this to happen, but we rely on your spirit to do what we cannot do. Thank you, God. Amen. Isaiah uh, 61, which we've read from a number of times recently, um, it's the chapter that starts very famously with the piece that Jesus quotes in later, in a couple chapters in the Gospel of Luke, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. That passage comes from Isaiah 61. We are reading the end of that chapter and into 62 where there is this look forward to something that God will do in the people of God that will sort of shine out on a hill before the nations. It says, your righteousness will go forth like this light out into the Gentiles. And so Israel is waiting for the fulfillment of this kind of prophecy. And Israel, uh, as we know, is waiting for a long time. Their expectation, the words is so glorious, that it's full of majesty, it's so big and unavoidable that they are waiting for this sort of unavoidably large and glorious thing to happen. And their eyes are sort of peeled to the horizon to see the coming of this event and how it will work. But one of the recurring themes, if you read through the Gospels, is that they are unprepared to see what the thing is that God actually wants to do. And the surprising nature of what God is doing is what marks especially the beginning of Jesus' story. The Gospel of Luke uh, has the most details about Jesus' childhood. We really don't have much information. There's not much interest, really, in the Gospels. You have this story. You have a story that immediately follows in the Gospel of Luke of when he's 12 and he gets separated from his parents. And those are really the only events that the Gospel decides to tell you and I about Jesus' childhood, his teenage years, his early adulthood. The Gospel of Luke is the only one that contains details like these. But we have these stories of Jesus as a baby, as a preteen. And even then, what is happening is unexpected. It's unforeseen. Jesus is being presented in the temple according to what is normal and usual, not what is unusual and unexpected. He's following the custom against, he has no choice in the matter because he's a baby. He's being carried into the temple to be presented as this, in this rite of dedication as the first male who has opened the womb of his mother Mary. And so he is being brought in, and these two people who are marked by the length of their waiting are the first ones that really recognize, outside of his birth moment, recognize something is happening here that is unexpected with this seemingly ordinary child. And really what we are saying about what happens in the incarnation of God, the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the, 
story of his life that we read in the Gospels, we are saying that God is up to something unexpected and unforeseen that still, if you really think about it, is hard to get your hands around and to accept. At first, people often come to this story and say, this is too much. It's too much. Jesus just has to be a really nice guy because what you are describing is way, way too much. It's way too far out of the ordinary. I can, I can buy that Jesus was a good teacher. I can buy that he was a good man. But the things that you are saying are hard for me to accept and to believe. My four-year-old daughter is picking up on this intuitively. She's at the age where she's sort of starting to connect some dots and to ask questions, natural questions, good questions. Who made God? And if we're talking about God, we have to tell her, God's not like anybody else. Nobody made God. God has just always been. And so that idea will sort of land in her mind, and you can see her brain thinking about it before the coloring book comes out and she's busy doing something else. But she can sort of get her brain around that idea. God always was. God was not made. But then a couple days later, she says, wait a second. Christmas is Jesus' birthday. You said Jesus was God, but he was born. So that means he has parents, Mary and Joseph. And then I'm like, yep, okay, good, good point, solid point. Now, how do I explain this to you? Jesus always was God and always existed, and yet he has a birthday like you and me. That is hard to get your, your mind around. It is hard for, for me to get my mind around, and my four-year-old Hope just looks at me and says, that is nonsense. That does not make any sense. I'm going to continue to go coloring now, which is fine. She's four. I don't need to get into the metaphysics of the incarnation. That's not the point. But when you listen as a child, the thing that we are saying says, this is too much. You've layered too much onto this story. It is unbelievable what you are saying. And really, that puts us in the same position as the people of Jesus' day. It puts them, it's entirely understandable why people of Jesus' day would not see what is right in front of them. Because it is so unexpected and so hard to get your hands around, to get your heart around. And that's why the events in Luke chapter 2 where we started reading, are so miraculous. And what Luke says is they needed the work of the Holy Spirit. That Simeon had given his life to waiting for that moment, the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 and 62 that we read. Simeon is waiting and waiting, and he's in a long line of waiters who is waiting for God to do the thing. And when he sees a baby carried into the temple... By the power of the Holy Spirit, his eyes are opened and he can see beyond what is just there in front of him, what, what is beyond what is just what you would expect. And he can see instead to the dim outline of God's glory. 
And what he says first is a prayer of gratitude. The prayer of Simeon is, is a part of many liturgies, especially evening prayer, that you're this grateful that God has let you see the things that you've seen with your eyes. And he sees to what Jesus will be. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He looks at this child and sees an instrument of God's revelation of your own heart, that his words would lay bare and he would bring down and rise up many. How is Simeon able to see something like that? except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Anna herself is an old woman. She's 84 years old who has lived in the temple by her. She, has, she had seven years of marriage. Her husband died, and for the rest of her life, she lives in the temple devoted to God. She's a prophetess. So she is one who sees and hears things that other people don't see and hear, and she recognizes about this plain, simple child from a podunk town way up north in Galilee. This kid from this nobody town, from this no one family, this one is the Lord's Christ. She sees something that seems impossible to see. And what Isaiah is looking forward to and this presentation of a little child seem mismatched. How, how could God be accomplishing the revelation of the glory of the righteousness of God's people that will shine to the edges of the earth? And the prophet, the waiting Simeon, prophetess, they're saying, here is the fulfillment of that movement and a tiny little child. How could both of those things go together? And Paul's words in Galatians chapter 4 help us to see that the perfect way for you and I to understand what God wants to do to fulfill and to turn on the lights described in Isaiah 61 is for God to come as a son. In Galatians chapter 4, what Paul describes, what God actually wants to do in the world, the, the shape, the contours of his glory that he wants to shine on the whole world is not the invasion of a conquering emperor. It, it is not the endowment of superpowers to people. It is not giving you wealth and riches and success and good health. Those are not the ways, actually, that God wants to do the thing that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 61 and 62. What God actually wants to do, the, the height, the pinnacle of his plan, Paul says in Galatians 4, is to make you a child of God. To take you and make you a son or a daughter. And he says, in this world, the way that you were born, the way that you and I were born, we were born into slavery. We were born into the systems of this world. We are born as a slave to death. It is in our destiny, in our DNA, in our, the encoding of our being to aim towards death. 
And God sends himself into the world to begin a new kind of person in the world who the trajectory of their life is no longer slavery and death, but is instead aimed right into the center of the family of God's being. God has, has been himself Always, Jesus was forever the Son. God the Father was forever the Father. It is in his nature to be communal love. And what Paul is saying is Jesus came as a baby. Jesus came as this little, seemingly unapproachable, manageable, frail and fragile thing to take your frailty and your fragility and to bring you in to his own divinity that you are being conferred the great gift just as God became one of us he became truly man not like one of me or you he became one of us fully a hundred percent fully man so that our humanity might be bridged in to God's own divinity. Because he is fully, completely God. The thing that my daughter finds so audacious, that it is so hard to wrap your mind around, it is so difficult to accept. The reason why Christians insist Jesus was not just a man, he was not just a good man, he was not just a good teacher that we should listen to and follow, but we are saying there have been lots of good teachers and good people, but in their DNA in their encoding was that same slavery and death. But one man, Jesus, brought divinity home to us and can change everything. Paul will say elsewhere in Romans chapter 8 that God would put his own spirit inside of you and give you the ability to say about God what you could not do for yourself that you might babble his name like a child and call him Abba, that you might groan with the Spirit and call him Father. What God wants for his people was too big for them to see or to understand. If Isaiah had spelled it out in 61 and 62, they had to see it with their eyes and live with it for decades before they had the hope, the prayer of listening to the Spirit and seeing the magnitude, the enormity of what God actually wanted to do and to give you his adoption and to come in. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that Simeon and Anna were able to see and to hear. You are not given the luxury of a roadmap to this thing that Jesus does for you and said, if you would do these things and be generous and kind enough and virtuous enough, then you can move your way up this ladder of divinity. Which you have to accept that it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you could see and hear the way Simeon and Anna did. And it is only the work of Jesus that carries you home. This morning... If you have become overwhelmed 
with how distant God is. If God feels so far away from you because you know how far short you fall and you feel the distance because that that distance is flowing out of you and you feel it in the world, how frail and crumbling the world is. If you feel that God is very far from you, the good news that I'm here to tell you today is that God has come exactly as close as you need him to. And he will carry you home by the power of his spirit. What you need to do is to see him and to trust him. That's it. There is no roadmap. There is no self-improvement plan. I'm glad y'all participated in the generosity to Owen Middle School, but there is not enough generosity projects for you to do in the entirety of your life to correct the trajectory of the death that you were born into. What you need is resurrection. What you need is adoption. So if you are feeling that I cannot do this thing, I will never be good enough. The answer is correct. God always knew that about you and came all the way to you. Never asked for you to meet him halfway. You never could do it. You'd never meet him there. He came all the way to you and said, you don't have to be good enough for me. I'm adopting you. I'm just grabbing you and I'm bringing you in. And if you have felt the weight of your inability, today's the day to hear what he is saying and to respond to him. And if, and if you've known that in your brain, you've been a good church person, it's possible to know that in your head and to not believe it in your heart and to live a different way. And so if you've grown fatigued trying to be a good Christian, trying to be a good person, God has changed your last name forever. He did that. And he does not kick you out of his family because you are not good enough. That is not the kind of father that he is. He is better than that. If you had a terrible father, he's nothing like your dad. If you had a wonderful father, he's way better than your dad. He's the kind of father that will come all the way to you in your distress and never let you go. So if you have fought him and pushed him away and you are tired and guilty and alone, you are here this morning to hear the good news that he has come all the way to you to embrace you and to make you his child. And he does not fail, even if you do. Look to Jesus and trust him this morning. He is more than enough, even for people like me, for people like you, who can barely barely understand the unexpected majesty of what God does when he turns on the lights. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. God, I thank you that you became one of us not like one of us, 
not the appearance of one of us. You became one of us so that we might come close to you. And God, I pray this morning for everybody who is weary, everybody who is tired of trying to be good enough to try to get into your family. God, I pray that they would hear the good news that you came to adopt them, that you came born as one of us, that you might take what we are and bring it close to God. And I struggle to understand, I struggle to believe just like my children, that you are patient, kind, and gentle to keep speaking the truth to me, the good news, because you're a good father. God, I pray that we would believe that today. That where we have doubted you, we'd confess it freely and plead for your help. Where this feels like too much to believe, we ask God that you'd be strong on our behalf. We thank you that you make sons and daughters out of us. And that we can live your house, in your house as children. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Make it so, make it rooted deeply in our hearts that we might believe it all the way down forever. Amen.